You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. All right, I'm looking for a nice, smooth, easy Friday show. Okay, especially because we're releasing on Friday instead of Saturday, Ed, because the White Sox have won the American League Central, and I'm not waiting until Saturday to talk about it. No, let, let, let's celebrate right now, man. Let's just enjoy what happened after a long, excruciating rebuild, and, and in reality, really two rebuilds. I mean, since 2008, they tried this twice. They tried to revamp this team twice. It didn't work out. Rick Hahn... The story goes, finally breaks down the guys around him to, we need to do a real full rebuild so we can bring back a team that's going to be consistently good. And then you hear Jerry Reinsdorf tell a pool reporter, we only let one guy talk to him. And then it was passed out to the rest of the media yesterday. Uh, he talks to a pool reporter and basically reiterates exactly what the plan was that he was convinced of doing. Because it sounds like it was Han. That's what everybody always says. Han's the one that sat there and said, we need to do this for long-term sustained winning on the South Side. And you hear Jerry now saying that out loud, and this is what we want, and that makes me feel good. And when I saw Rick Han on the TV on the post-game show, I I beamed as a fan that he was my general manager. I, I, I just love what has been put together on this team and I'm super pumped up for the postseason. And before I let Ed speak, I want to remind everybody, Socks in the Basement is brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Check them out at FamilyDry.com. Protect your home, protect your basement, protect your foundation. Keep water out or get it out of there. Give them a call 24-7-708-330-4466. Mention Socks in the Basement and you get money off. How excited were you? Uh, with the clinch because it was one of those things where we knew it was coming. It's been like a drab couple of weeks trying to figure out what you're going to talk about with this team because this was the inevitability and we're just waiting for the postseason. So I didn't think I was going to be excited, but I got excited at the moment that they clinched. When it finally happens, okay, and they, they clinch, they actually clinch by winning the game. They're beating the Indians, which is which is still good. It's still satisfying to see that happen, even though – there was no chance the Indians, the Guardians, the Spiders, whatever the hell you want to call them, there's no chance the Cleveland baseball assemblage was actually catching the Sox this year. But to still, to, to take out the guy who had been their best pitcher all year, to do it in a fashion that you want to see White Sox games being won, and really the, the best way the White Sox win games, which is hit them hard, hit them often. Still, very, very exciting. And it was the moment we were waiting for, that Liam Hendricks' final strikeout, the big old fist pump and, and the excitement that he shows – and it was. It was a moment that still gives you some goosebumps, knowing that it, it, it actually happened. But you're right about Rick Hahn, right? And, and if you look at what the White Sox are right now, the things that we're talking about in terms of looking at still developing guys while you're in a division-winning team, a team that's going to the playoffs, and we're concerned about using somebody like Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets in the wrong situation because they're trying to develop them instead of going with the hot hands, stuff like that. You know, these little things, these are beautiful things. Because look at what's happening in San Diego, which I think was the team that everybody was comparing the Sox to. You know, here's the other team that's rebuilding on the upswing. They stole Fernando Tatis Jr. from us. 
And they stole Manny Machado from us too, remember? And they stole Manny Machado. Think about a year and a half ago. Think about a year and a half ago, the amount of White Sox fans that said, I'd rather have that team. Like where they're at a year and a half ago, where they're at two years ago, the way that things were going for that team, the amount of criticism, like they're doing it better than us. And this team did better than them. I, I, why would you even want to be part of San Diego right now? Like, I'm glad I'm not a Padres fan with a team that is completely lost and and needs to kind of reinvent itself. And they're arguing in their own dugout. and They're going to miss the postseason. I mean, we, we're in the much better spot and we're the much better team for the long run. Absolutely. And, and that's why you should be you should be beaming at Rick Hahn. You should be excited about the fact that he's going to be. You know, he's going to be the, the the general manager of the year or whatever they call it, the executive of the year. You know, even the idea of hiring Tony La Russa and all the buttons that he's pushed. What what are we what are we really complaining about today? Nothing. Craig Kimbrell, which Craig Kimbrell and, you know, struggling a little bit. Dallas Keuchel, we're kind of wondering what's up with him. You know, those are the two big acquisitions that Rick made that we're kind of looking at like, eh, I don't know. But is there any other button that he's really pushed that you are complaining about right now? No, not really. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, really, if you had written a book, if you were writing a story about the season, the way that it started with La Russa, the way that it it was basically, hey, Rick, guess what? I've got a manager for you. You know, his owner comes over and tells him, I know you were going to do a managerial search, but my buddy Tony's coming in. Like, And, and just the messiness of all of that, right? And then the fact that Tony's got the DUI. And the the early part of the season where he doesn't know some of the new rules and just that mess. And then you fast forward. If you could show that and then just hit a fast forward button and put right there on the screen right afterwards, the fact that Tim Anderson saying yesterday, we got our guy, the the hugging between him and, and the kissing, the smooching between him and Jose Abreu, it looks like there was like a tweet that was sent out and it was taken where like, you know, the families were together in somebody's home, right? And like, they're just like, he's hugging Tony and giving him a kiss on the head. And Tony's telling him he's, he's like Albert Pujols and how much he loves him. I mean, like just the connection that's been made between players and manager. And then the thing that really got me yesterday was the post game. You know, remember Ozzy Guillen wanted this job. Yeah. That was really clear that Ozzy Guillen wanted this job when it became available to the point where immediately the moment that Renteria was fired, Jerry Reinsdorf called him and said, you're not getting the job. Like, I just want to, I just want to give you a heads up, Ozzy. Sorry. Just, just, just let you know. Right. You can't apply for whatever reason you, you can't apply. So he's sitting there and very early on in the year, you you know, I mean, he's been generally supportive, but there's been a few times that he's been like, what is Tony doing? Because he deep down, he would have done it differently. Yeah. Right. He he knows what he would have done. He wanted this job and he knew what he was going to do. And then there was a back and forth in the post game. LaRusso's sitting there with, the rare smile, like he was all smiles yesterday. Yeah, he was actually really happy. Yeah, I thought his face was going to break. I, I thought it was like, you know, the, the, the all I, the it, crust. It may have. Yeah, the, the crust that's built up was just going to just flake off and there was going to be like, you know, pieces falling off because of the way that that smile was coming through. But there's a back and forth between LaRusa and Guillen that was very honest in which LaRusa, I think, threw the first platitude. He did. He said, he said, no matter whatever I do, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it as well as what Ozzy did in 2005. Do not forget, there's only two teams in the history of Major League Baseball to go through the entire postseason with one loss. When it went, since we went to a format where there's several rounds, like 11 and one, they went in that postseason. They were they were the most dominating team possibly in all of postseason history. 
when you look at just wins and losses in 2005. Ozzie pushed every button correctly, pulled every lever, and in the middle of a moment that is all Tony LaRusso's, he took the time to acknowledge what Ozzie did in 05. And Ozzie immediately turns around and says, but you're the right guy for this team. Yeah. And 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 just the back and forth between the two of them. I, every little thing that you sat around and you worried about at the beginning of the season, if you're still sitting around and saying that, and I have friends who still tell me Tony LaRusso is going to screw this up in the postseason. He's a terrible manager. We should have never have gotten him. Guys that have planted their flag and refuse to admit that the flag was planted in the wrong place, even at this point. And you're you're missing out if you if you don't notice that all those concerns, all those worries, all that stuff, that stuff has been put to bed. All right. That, that has been put to bed. Now we're on a ride. The first ride of hopefully many years of rides through the postseason. We've got one hell of a team that jumped out in in that game. You know, in the clincher game, in the first of the two doubleheader games, and showed you what they can do when they sit there and say, we're going out and winning today. And that put my mind a little bit at ease because I've been very concerned about the way that the team's been playing over the last couple of weeks. But obviously, all they have to do is take a bus ride and have a long conversation on a bus ride with each other. And Tim Anderson says, get on my back, let's go. And boom, the whole team follows. And and if if that's what we've got, we're going we're going straight through everybody. I, I mean, like I've got chills just talking about it, Ed. I can't wait. It, it is you know th- that ride you mentioned. So last year we were not as a team tall enough to ride that ride. Okay, everybody was on their tiptoes. They fluffed their hat up a little bit higher on their head, and they just fooled the guy who was like, "Yeah, I don't care, kid. As long as you don't die, I'm not going to get in trouble." Right. We were sneaking on the roller coaster. This year, you, we this team just strolled up and we're like, you don't even have to measure me. Yeah, I am definitely here for this ride. I am big enough. And you're right. It, it, the 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 platitudes between Ozzy and Tony, I caught that too, and that was a you know that's a validation moment right there because you have a guy now in Ozzy whose job is to be critical of the team when necessary, and he's not going to be critical of the team right now or critical of what Tony's done because Tony's the right guy for the team. And Tim Anderson is this team's leader. And Jose Abreu is this team's leader. And when those guys decide it's time, you're right. The rest of the team is going to listen. Anderson in particular. I mean, I'm I'm looking in anticipation for him to make the kind of a run through the postseason that, you know, he's going to be a clear-cut MVP of one or two series. Yeah, I think, I think so he's too. I think he's capable of that. By far. Well, um, the thing is, you have so many other guys that are also capable of it. I mean, Luis Robert is on an oh, absolute yeah. tear. If he continues to do what he's doing, it's going to be an awful lot of fun. And you know what? I think it's going to be. A, I think it's going to be a Joe Creedy Jermaine Die situation, though. I think it's going to be one of those where everybody knows that Joe Creedy lit it up throughout the entire playoffs. But when it came down to it, yeah, Jermaine Die got the MVP because he also lit it up, but in a more you know, in a very clutch moment where he gets that game-winning RBI in Game 4. Yeah, really, it was decided by who's the last guy that did something big because they were both amazing in the postseason. I think we're going to have several guys on this team that could potentially have amazing postseasons. And the first game, unless something crazy happens, the first game the White Sox will play in the postseason in front of a home crowd looks like it's going to be on the 10th of October for Game 3 of the ALDS. And I have spoken with the folks over at Cork and Carry at the park, and Sox in the basement will be there for a pregame party. I do not know 
what time it will be because we have to wait for everybody to get in the postseason, everything to be set, and for the TV stations to decide, well, these East Coast teams have to have the uh, late game, so we're going to start the White Sox at noon. And once that happens, we'll be able to get out the time because we all know that's coming, right? We all we all know that's what's going to happen, so whatever. But the thing Houston is, Houston and Chicago? No. <laughs> we're not putting you guys on prime time. Right. Once we know exactly everything, we'll get the times out and stuff, but mark that date on your calendar. I want everybody out there. We're going to have an absolute blast. Absolutely. We're going to have tons of stuff to give away, and we are going to kick off the postseason in style at the Southside tradition that is Cork and Carry at the park. Game three, ALDS. Come out and see us, 33rd in Princeton. There's another homestand coming up here before the postseason begins. If you're going out to the game, pre-party, post-party, in-party, just get over the cork and carry at the park. It's beautiful fall weather. They got indoor-outdoor seating. They got a big, beautiful bar, and they got award-winning burgers and a great menu of ballpark food that comes out quick and hot right to your table or wherever you're standing at, and you get yourself some food in your belly before you head over to the ballpark to root on the White Sox. Look at everything they have to offer and maybe consider renting the entire place out for like a postseason party. You can do that at corkandcarryatthepark.com. All right. When I was in radio years ago, back in the ancient days, and I, you know, I, I worked in Reno, Nevada, and they had they had brought me out there. And the only reason I took this job, sight unseen, without seeing anybody at the station, without visiting Reno or anything like that, was because uh, I was supposed to go out and interview for that job on September the twelfth, two thousand and one. So my my flight got canceled. All right, like every other flight in America for that week. <laughs> For good reason. (laughs) Like, that's when I was going out to see them. So I had to do the whole negotiation on the phone. I go out there. I get out there. And, you know, I loved Reno. I I thought the people were a little weird, but I loved it, right? But the thing is, I got there very early on. That's why Comedy Central developed a show around the town of Reno, I think, though. It it was right at that time, I believe. Yeah. (laughs) It was was dead on (laughs) for what Reno, Nevada was. But anyway, I'm out there in this cluster of stations, and I didn't like I, I didn't like the people I was working for very quickly. I was like, oh, I like the place, but I wish I would have visited these people or realized what terrible human beings they are. But I was there, and they decided to have a pizza party. And they bring in all the different radio stations in for a pizza party, right? And one of the stations, they had decided to make some changes. So they kicked off the pizza party by saying, hey, uh, Joe, Bob, and uh, uh, Diane over there, why don't you guys grab your pizza first and then start packing up because you're fired? That's how they kicked it off. <laughs> what? And I always thought that was the roughest thing I'd ever seen. Like people in media. What? Yeah, people in media have some of the worst stories about how people get fired. That oh was my God. That was terrible. That's how they fired them in front of a group. Like grab your stuff, eat your pizza the way out the door. Yesterday, the White Sox clinch and Jace Fry, grab a beer on the way out. You're going back to AAA. And then Matt Foster, grab a beer Matt, on the way you out. Too. You're, you're out of here as well. Now, I mean, I would think that they had an inkling that they weren't going to be on the playoff roster. Like nobody's nobody's projected them to be on the playoff roster. Right. But like, yeah, they're not making it. Can you imagine them celebrating? And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, 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 look, MLB rules say we can only have so many guys in the clubhouse. And pff, Andrew Vaughn's here for the second game. Uh Grab a couple Miller lights and uh, we got you a ticket. You can go sit in the stands. Yeah. Like, like, oh, like, oh, I'm sorry. You're a Coors Light guy. Right. Too bad. Oh, we got his Miller light. Go. Right. No, they had Coors Light. I saw that. I saw they had a big I, yeah, selection they there. They, they, they had bullets there. <laughs> but I mean, like, that is a sobering moment right there. Like, hopefully they use it for motivation to, to go out and get better so that they never have that happen to them again. 
You know, both guys did contribute at times. They contributed oh, yeah. the wins yeah. this season, you know, and that's a rough thing that happens. But the team is going to now form and there might be some other guys that get bad news. Uh, you know, Scott Merkin put out his his roster and I always laugh when whenever spring training happens, we'll have Merck on or we'll talk about it ahead of time. And I always say, look, Merck hears stuff that nobody else hears. And if Merck's putting a guy in a lineup, that's because he's he's gotten a little bit of insight into what the team is actually thinking. Right. He's dead on with what we talked about. 12, 12 pitchers, 14 hitters. And right now he's got Zebby Zavala going instead of Zach Collins and pretty much everybody that we talked about. But I would that's say a toss right, up. Yeah. Yeah. But I would also say and he puts it in his article that they could take three catchers so that they have the the bat of Collins from the other side of the plate. And they still get the defense of Zavala. So what I would say right now is Goodwin, Zavala, and Collins, two of them are making the roster. One of them is not. And after Goodwin's last month, that's a real thing. They could take three catchers or it's going to be the way that Merck drew it up. Well, I mean, you could ask yourself very easily with that, you know, are you worried at all about uh, Yasmani Grandal being behind the plate? Are you worried at all about his knee? Do you want the opportunity maybe to DH him in a lineup? Uh, and if that's the case, yeah, Collins and Zavala make a heck of a lot of sense to have that third catcher, that emergency catcher back there. And Goodwin, frankly, shouldn't be starting at all. And I don't know that he sees the field over Larry Garcia or Billy Hamilton as far as a defensive replacement. So I would go with the third catcher. I'd, I'd take the chance that you might need that third guy behind the plate, especially if you go extra innings, because if we got a quick turnaround as, as a White Sox team, uh, you know, where they are doing that thing where they put them on, they give them their one primetime game, but then, you know, they're going to they're gonna have to turn around and they're going to play a day game. You know, I know they separate them out. That's not, you know, within 24 hours. But if there is something or if they go extra innings, I, I think Tony could very easily benefit more from being able to sit there and say, all right, late in the game, I'm going to put Sebi in, uh, you know, and, and give Yaz the rest of the night off. Or, uh, you know, just sit there and say, all right, well, you know what, I'm rather than trying to match up Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets against whoever the pitcher is, uh, you know, I'm going to like Zavala's bat or Collins bat, and I'm going to put Yaz in as a DH. Well, here's the thing. He also adds in Dallas Keuchel in relief and leaves out Jose Ruiz. And he's assuming that Carlos Rodon is going to also make the team and be okay in this final start against Cincinnati, which really is the audition. Tony La Russa is going to send Carlos Rodon out there, and if he can't pitch effectively, and he wants to see how many innings he can do, and can he use him in the postseason? That's exactly what that that start is. That's the biggest right. game left on the schedule for the White Sox. Well, and, and I don't even know if it's innings, though. Do, do you think it's innings, or do you think it's... I think they're going to be looking to see how his stuff is. I'm, I think they're looking to see, is he throwing upper 90s with a fastball, and is he getting good spin on the, on the slider? I don't think... I think they could pull him after five even if he's rolling but if his stuff looks good that's what i think they're looking for they want to make sure he's not leaving an inning two or inning three they don't want him to have another short start that that's the thing that that that, that, when i say innings that's what they're looking at i'm not saying they're trying to figure out can he go eight i think what they're trying to make sure is is he gonna go can he only go like you know 40 pitches or something like that we got to get him out of there you know or he he experiences soreness again on top of what you're talking about with with his velocity and placement and everything you know I think that there's a little bit of innings that you'd be looking at there. The The thing is, Carlos Rodon had a spectacular season. A career year if there ever was one. Look, I mean, his, his whip is 0.971. His FIP, his fielding independent pitching, 2.64. You 
His ERA plus is 174 when 100 is is basically league average. He's like, which shows that he's just an absolute star. Uh, for ERA, yeah. heads a 2.47. He went 12 and five this year. He had a, a spectacular year. I know that it's a step down though, and we're going to get into this here in just one moment. It's a step down if Carlos Rodon cannot go in the postseason. But I am encouraged, Ed. Very, very encouraged by what the White Sox will be able to bring out to replace him. Hey, Sox fans, in the southwest suburbs, Davern's Tavern and Lounge in Justice, Illinois, has something for everyone. Located at 8527 West 79th Street, they have this large back party room to host an event for up to 150 people. They have a massive outdoor beer garden, horseshoes, cornhole. In fact, they host the Midwest largest blind draw bags tournament every Monday night with a major and minor league. All skill levels are welcome to Man Cave Mondays and live music with DJs on the weekends. Chicago Bears fans, there's free food during all Bears games and Daverns is a White Sox bar. During Sox games at Daverns, 250 Miller Lite bottles, $2 UV bombs, $12 pizzas, 8527 West 79th Street. Learn more at DavernsTavern.com. Game two of clinch day, when it was all over and uh, most of the White Sox team was probably uh, running back into the clubhouse to uh, to have it a, a libation. I like the word libation over adult beverage. Adult yeah. beverage was overused yesterday in the broadcast. <laughs> I really hate adult beverage. Like, just say they're I having a beer. Like they're, you know, guess what? Guess what? I drink apple juice sometimes right. still, too, and I'm yeah. not four years old. They're, they're, they're running back there to drink some beers, and they're having a good time. Michael Kopech starts that game. He only goes two innings. He strikes out four. So four of his six outs are strikeouts. He looks dominating. And after the game, really, really... Interesting quote from Tony LaRusa. He says Michael Kopech, who will likely be stretched out in the last week of the regular season, the quote is there is no limit to, depending on how rested he is, how we can use him any way the team needed. He's ready to go. He just wants to compete. Michael Kopech, I believe, might start game three, <laughs> is starting a game if Carlos Rodon is not ready. I I believe Michael Kopech comes out and starts, and I believe the team thinks we can get four out of him, maybe five. And and, and the other thing is, in game one, Lopez, I know he had a big lead, another nice outing. It wasn't a bad outing. outing. It was a very solid one. I mean, two solo home runs is nothing to be worried about. Here's the thing. If you had a Kopech and a Lopez, and you had the bullpen that you have, and you had the three starting pitchers of Lynn and Giolito and Cease that you were confident in, Going into the postseason last year, you would feel far more confident than what you were going into that bullpen game, basically, what was that, game three against the A's last year, right? I mean, this is a much better situation. So as much as it's a step down for Rodon, I'm not panicked over this. I think this team can overcome this easily. I think what that also tells me is that they are not buying into this. Carlos Rodon just has soreness. They're going to continue to push that as the party line because they're not going to admit that the guy is is hurt they're not getting him checked out but I think Tony's practical about it and if he thinks that Rodon is going to go out and be throwing 92 mile an hour fastballs when he was hitting 100 earlier in the season if he's going to be throwing sliders that just don't have the same bite on them and he's not going to use them then he's not going to run them out there in a, in a playoff game 
only to have to turn to Kopech or Lopez early out of the bullpen. So I, I do think you could see very easily them sitting there saying, look, with the guys that we have that we can put in behind him and using somebody like Dallas Keiko, who is still a bulldog. I mean, he's still a competitor. He is a veteran. He has some ideas. He's just not getting it done. I bet you they do feel pretty confident that if you get into a game where you have Michael Kopech go four innings in a start and then you just back him up with some of the better bullpen pieces, Garrett Crochet, they've been, you notice he's been going a couple of innings at a time. I've noticed that. Uh, I've noticed that. You could build a, and you don't have to worry about who you used in the games leading up to it because there's lots of options that you could oh, go yeah. with. I mean, you could you could put Kopech and Lopez together into a start. You could put you could have Rodan come out and pitch two innings, and Kopech does four. Now you're through six. There's an incredible amount of combinations that can be used, and I I've I found myself deferring to, you know what. And Tony, I trust at this point. I mean, look at the buttons and the levers that he that he that he pulled and the buttons that he pushed. Look, look what he did this season. I've got to believe they can overcome this. It's a bump. It's something I'm not happy about, but it's not something that I think ruins their chances to win a World Series. I we're gonna take a look though, real quick, before we get out of here. Now that we're preparing for the postseason, they have to get the rotation ready, Ed. So we're gonna take a look at the big three that we know are not injured, and we're gonna talk about which which order you would put them in, in the ALDS. And this is all brought to you by Evil Horse Brewing Company. Uh, this segment brought to you by Evil Horse. They're located in Crete, Illinois at 1338 Main Street. Uh, go out there and try their incredible tap room. It is just a big, beautiful area out there. They have award-winning beers that they have. They've won contests all over the brewing community. And I know for a fact that during Oktoberfest, their beer that they make, their fest beer, their Munich beer that they make, they actually change the water to the exact composition of Munich, Germany's water before they make the beer. It is an experience for beer drinkers. If you're a craft beer guy, check out Evil Horse Brewing. Visit them today at evilhorsebrewing.com. All right, let's look at these three guys. First off, I want to ask you, if you had to order it up and you know you're starting on the road, likely in Houston, although Houston is getting really close to Tampa Bay all of a sudden, and you had to start on the road the first two games and come home for game three on the 10th, where we're going to be at Cork and Carry at the park for game three of the ALDS. How would you line up your rotation? Well, I don't think that there's much question that you walk in with Lance Lynn starting off. I, I think he's the number one. He's the guy that's going to set the tone. And I think also being a veteran, he's the one you worry the least about having any kind of a any kind of an issue really with the moment being too big for him. Giolito, I think, can get himself over-pumped. Cease is still, you know, eh, he's, still, he's still got some moments where you kind of wonder. I, I agree with you on the Lance Lynn thing. There's a few people that have said that it's not a guarantee. Like, why wouldn't you start Lucas Giolito? Look, we've seen Giolito in big spots and in big games. He gets himself really overexcited. And you brought in Lance Lynn to be that guy who leads your your team. He's become the de facto leader of that entire rotation, of that entire pitching staff. If somebody said, who do you think's the leader? Who sets the tone? It's Lance Lynn. So let him start. Let him kick off the postseason. And I know Tony trusts him, so I think Tony's going to have him start. And there's been people that have worried about his second half and uh, you know how deep he's going in the games and his effectiveness and all that other stuff. Well, I took a look at his first half and second half numbers, and sure, He's nine and three in the first half and one and two in the second half. So, oh my goodness, he's a different pitcher and his ERA is a little bit elevated. But what I would say is this, even though his whip 
was sitting at a 1.037 in the first half. It is still a very, very good 1.12. And then also, if you look at his innings pitched and the amount of games he was in, he went 90 and two-thirds over 16 games in the first half, okay? He's had 10 games in the second half, and he's pitched 55 and a third. Throw that in your calculator. Five and two-thirds is the average in the first half. Five and two-thirds is the average in the second half. If you look at his overall halves, he's actually, I mean, he might have fallen off slightly, but not enough that I'm going to say he's not the ace of the staff. He still is the guy I want out there on the mound game one. Then I would look to Giolito in game two, and the reason I would do that, and there's been an argument, Jordan Lazowski, his Sox on 35th, was talking to me this week. He wants Dylan Cease, you know, we've had him on the show no, before, wants no, Dylan no, Cease no, 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 no. going in the second game. Dylan Cease on the road no. is atrocious compared to Dylan Cease at home. And, and because of that, Dylan Cease has to start game three. It's night and day, Dylan Cease at home or on the road. I, I mean, you can't, I don't think you can, you can argue this point. Away from from Chicago, he is 6-5 and five with a 5.02 ERA. And I'm not going to get into all the, the advanced stats, but he's just worse. And he's putting a terrible amount of people on base, Ed. He's got a 1.367 whip. That, I've always said that. If you're above 1.30, you're not very effective. You're, you're a middling pitcher, if not a bottom end of the rotation guy, on a team that's going for a World Series. I mean, there's few exceptions to that, but generally your best pitchers, your good pitchers, your guys you trust, that's about the border that I put on it. And he's above that border, clearly. Yeah, and we're talking about the difference. He's, he's pitched 75 and a third away from home, and then he's pitched 81 home innings. And his strikeouts per nine stay pretty pretty much the same, 12.2, uh, which is fantastic. But it's just he's putting more guys on. Like you said, it's just the, the walks are right there. The strikeouts are down. The hits, 71 versus 60. That's 11 more hits he's given up in fewer innings on the road. So... I want Dylan Cease on that game three when they're back home and Lucas Giolito going ahead and, and he is pretty steady home or away. You know, he's not, there's not a huge, as big and marked difference as with Dylan Cease. And frankly, he's slightly better on the road this year. He's got a 348 ERA versus a 394. Uh, his whip is a little bit lower, 1.13 versus 1.30. And everything else is pretty much the same. So, Giolito, slightly better on the road, having pitched game two, whether it's in Tropicana Field or, or, or you know, down in Houston. And then Cease, who is by far much better in front of the home crowd, let him come in and finish the sweep on October 10th. Yeah, that's what I want. Just get in there, get out of there, and sweep it out and just move on to the next series. I mean, I want the exactly. domination. I, I, I just can't imagine a Dylan Cease going on the road when you look at those home and road splits. I, I, you know, I know a lot of guys who get into the advanced metrics and they'll say, oh, well, there's a little uptick in this or he's changed this or whatever. Look, sometimes the most basic numbers tell you the biggest picture. His walks and hits per innings pitched are 1.16 on baseball reference that I'm looking at right now. That's pretty much what Lucas Giolito has been all year. So you're going to get a pitcher that's that's around the exact same as Giolito and what Lance Lynn was in the second half. You're getting that pitcher if he pitches at home in game three. You, if you don't get that pitcher, you're getting a guy that's much closer to the Dallas Keuchel you don't even want to bring with, you know, that people are like, no way he starts. You're getting a guy much closer to that end of the spectrum if he goes on the road. So, yeah, I would line it up. I'd go with the guy who Tony trusts, who sets the tone, and I'd have him go game one. I'd have Giolito go game two, and then I would have Cease come home with the home cooking and go game three. And then you got an interesting decision as to what you're going to do in the other two games, but you can very easily there just go right back to Lynn. 
in that short series if you really want to. You can go back to Lynn, or you can go and use Kopech, or you can if Rodon comes out and he's really good, then maybe you start him in a game four in front of the home crowd. Where remember, he had a no-hitter, and he feeds off the energy, you know? So I I love that kind of setup for this team, and I'm I'm thinking that's what they're going to do. I've been wrong a few times this year, but we've been pretty on with what they're going to do. That That's how I would set it up. It sounds like you're on the same page. Yeah, and in fact, actually, you know, as we're sitting here talking about it, it occurs to me that, you know, for that first series with those three guys going and being able to line it up that way and knowing that Cease has been money at home for the most part, I do wonder, even if Rodon looks okay next week against Cincinnati, I do wonder if they sit there and go, you know what, we can get away in a game four with a Kopech or a Lopez and doing a bit of a bullpen game, and let's give Rodon that series off because you can always put him back on for the ALCS. Remember, it's likely going to be the Astros, but it could be Tampa Bay as Houston is now starting to win, uh, and they are only three games back of the Rays as we go into this final week or so of the Major League Baseball uh, schedule. So it's a possibility it starts in Tampa Bay. I still think this is going to end up being Houston. I mean, the odds are clearly that it's going to be Houston. Also, do not forget that on October the 2nd, next Saturday, Evergreen Park, I just got the whole list. They've got live bands out there. They've got stuff for the kids when it comes to, like they got petting zoos and pony rides and and all kinds of fun stuff out there. And they got a big beer garden and open outcry is going to be out there pouring beer. And we're going to be there as well as part of our Soxtoberfest celebration, getting out with the fans and enjoying a few, you know, lifting a glass and celebrating with you as we get close to the postseason. And then on the 10th, Cork and Carry. ALDS. Make sure you're ready for that for game three. I like these Friday shows. We we might have to move the Friday releases. I I kind of I kind of dig it. You know, if not before yeah. the postseason, when the postseason's over, maybe we maybe we adjust where our release dates are because I, I'm I'm digging the Friday thing, but I'm also just really really excited that the White Sox are in the postseason for the second time in two years. The first time they've ever gone back to back. And this is a big boy team that's much better than it was last year and showed me an awful lot in that clincher game that makes me think that they are ready to get rolling. They, they understand what they have to do. They're ready to get rolling. I think Tony's going to get them rolling. And if he gets them rolling in the last week or so going into the postseason, I don't think you can stop this train. Woo-hoo! Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.